Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. But today we're going to stick with breastfeeding, and we're really going to get down to some real nitty-gritty here. My guest today is Elizabeth M. Johnson. She's the founder of Spark Equity, which is a boutique trading and consulting firm in Durham, North Carolina. Now, Spark Equity specializes in helping people understand how sexual abuse affects sexual and reproductive health. Building on her career in coaching, crisis counseling, and 20 years in training and education, Elizabeth offers one-of-a-kind programs that you won't see anywhere else. Why so? Well, because her programs look at how sexual abuse affects all areas of sexual health from pregnancy through menopause. And by the way, her newest program is starting on uh, June 11th. So, Elizabeth, uh, I think that this is a very interesting business model that you have here. And I'm thinking that only a very small percentage of us really have the courage to open our own business. It takes a lot of passion. It takes a lot of guts. And you have to believe that you have a service that is helpful and that people are actually going to pay you money to do what you do. So what motivated you to get into this in the first place? Hi, Marie. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm really oh, excited sh- to talk with you. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so I spent a lot of time in my career working with survivors, so sexual abuse survivors and domestic violence survivors. And I last I left my job at a uh, domestic violence agency uh, about a month before I had my daughter. I identify as a rape survivor myself. And at about maybe a month or so postpartum with her, I'm breastfeeding her and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, why haven't I ever heard anything about breastfeeding being triggering for sexual abuse survivors? That is so strange. I spend a lot of time doing training and education and think I'm pretty well versed in the field. And why can't I find anything about that? And why was it something that no provider ever talked to me about? And so I started to do some research Um, and I found not a lot actually out there. And so I started to do some thinking and I knew that I wasn't going to go back to the agency that I was working for. But I thought, gosh, there's a lot of providers, you know, everyone from lactation consultants to, you know, La Leche League peer support folks to, gosh, doulas to nurses, everyone who is going to be encountering women at some sort of vulnerable time um, dealing with kind of sexual health issues and thought, gosh, I could really possibly be a resource for those folks looking specifically at where those things intersect. Yeah. So sexual abuse, how sexual abuse might impact areas like breastfeeding. Um, I would say it certainly does. And I'm thinking uh, as you were talking about the, the literature that you had or had not bumped into, I'm thinking one of the earlier studies was actually done by uh, Kathleen Kendall Tackett, mm-hmm. who also has been a guest on this show. And I think that her article was in 1998. And I think there was an earlier one that I have not read in years, but it was by Atchison and colleagues. And um, he's not a breastfeeding person. He's, and I think it's a he, uh, I don't remember at least that there was any real breastfeeding uh 
associated with that, but it was a pretty enlightening article about, as you say, those vulnerable periods. Elizabeth, let's back up a minute. I have always heard, read, understood that the time when sexual abuse, well, excuse me, when abuse starts is in pregnancy. I've always taken that to mean physical abuse. Would you say that that is true about sexual abuse? And if not, what can you tell us about these vulnerable periods? Because I think we need to talk about that. Sure, that's a great question. So we know statistically that, um, and this is, there's also a piece where there's, this is not as fine as we would like it to be. There's evidence sure. sort of supporting, research supporting both sides. But this, re when we're thinking about pregnancy, that's really looking more at physical abuse. Um, so okay. there's a lot of, there's a lot of looking into when physical, pregnancy can um, often exacerbate a domestic violence situation because the abuser can feel like they don't have as much control over that person. And now they feeling jealous of this new, this, you know, this new baby or, or the, the soon to be baby. Um, and so that's a little bit more of a domestic violence situation or in domestic violence um, or relationship. Sexual abuse um, can be, so past sexual abuse um, can resurface at any point. And because sexual abuse is, you know, so, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is contact abuse and, and not all of it, but it can come up at vulnerable points in someone's life. And by a vulnerable point, I mean um, the postpartum period um, that could be going into, you know, labor and delivery. A vulnerable time could even be attending a childbirth class, right? You don't know what to expect. You're there with your partner or maybe not with your partner. Um, so sexual abuse is, um, is something that can come up when, when the survivor is feeling, um, when it, the survivor's in a specific vulnerable time um, or is being triggered by something sort of going on in their environment. You just made the distinction between sexual abuse and contact uh, abuse. Could you elaborate on that a little bit, please? Sure. Um, most advocates and educators tend to think of sexual abuse not in the legal way. And so we employ, we, we use a broader definition of sexual abuse. And so when I'm talking with, you know, the public, but also people I'm training, I have them think about sexual abuse both in terms of contact and non-contact. So non-contact abuse, Marie, could be forcing someone to watch pornography, keeping oh, uh -huh. in on someone right. when they're in the shower, that kind of thing. So contact abuse and non-contact abuse. Got it, got it, got it. But I would imagine that while the effects are different, I would imagine, it would seem like they would be very lifelong lasting. That was a wordy way to say it, it lasts a long time, right? <laughs> I think it can, because I don't necessarily think that, you know, sexual abuse is in someone's past, but that doesn't mean it's gone. Um, and I think that's sometimes an important distinction to make. And I think that's something that the general public doesn't know, um, but also healthcare providers are not aware of. So the so average survivor doesn't know that. Um, and the average person, you know, like a nurse like yourself would not necessarily know that either. So help me with this. I had this conversation with a woman not very long ago. I don't think it could have been more than a week or two ago. And she had an absolutely stellar breastfeeding experience. Mm. Uh, was all for breastfeeding, breastfed her kid for, I can't remember now, but I mean a substantial period of time. Uh, but she was abused sexually by both her father and her grandfather. I was trying to get in my head, how is it that she was that resilient? Do you have any explanation for that? Mm. Do you think that's unusual? 
I don't think it's necessarily unusual. Um, You know, there's a lot of and I, you know, I may be getting ahead of us, but there's a lot of, and Kathleen Kendall-Tackett has done some great research in this area in terms of our breastfeeding survivors more or less likely than the average um, non-survivor to breastfeed. Um, and so she found, she found, she pointed to some really good research and just a ton of, um, you know, with a really large study sample of saying that they actually were more inclined. My own experience has been they're just as inclined as the average person, no more, no less. Um, but I, I want to interrupt for just sure. a moment here and tell you, I I have read several research studies on that. Some say they are just as likely. Some sites say they are less likely. And some say that they are about the same. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. And also, they make the distinction between initiation versus cessation. Uh-huh. And I I think the research is clearer about the uh, the fact that they're more likely to wean early in the game. But I would also say, how are you going to know? Because there's a whole flock of other things. They could have a, a mother-in-law who was driving them nuts. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there, there could be a lot more to that, or or maybe not. But uh, I think that's harder to measure than the initiation. So anyway, right. your take on this is, yes, there are probably those who do breastfeed who are much more uh resilient, and maybe we just don't notice those as many times. Yeah, um, I think that's true. And I think it also, you know, here especially looking at, um, you know, maternal health here in the United States, I think what we need to think about when we think about resiliency is really what else is, so she was abused by her father and her grandfather. So she was a childhood survivor. So what else was sort of going on, you know, in her life? You know, was she a woman of color? Was she um, susceptible to like systemic racism that happened? Were there other, um, were there other fact, other risk factors for, um, for um, not necessarily thriving as a child in her, in, in childhood for her? You know, was she in school? There's so many pieces that we need to think about. Um, was she, you know, when she disclosed her abuse, was she, was some, did someone believe her? Um, that can make a huge impact in terms of resiliency and in terms of someone moving through and feeling confident about breastfeeding, um, and, 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 and furthering their own healing too. So there's so many pieces that I think we, um, don't always necessarily know about, um, that Mm. really factor into what, what success might look like. I know that this is a huge topic, but uh, I want to address it maybe a little bit here, and maybe we'll take it to the other side of the break. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's a whole show. Shucks, what do I know? Uh, (laughs) Which is, I have sometimes gone on my bandwagon of breast is best, blah, blah, blah. And then I have had colleagues who say to me, now, you don't know that you can say that to her. She might have had abuse. She might not want to breastfeed because she's been abused. And you know, my reaction to that is, yes, she could have been, or she could have had any number of other things, or maybe she's just got an opinion. But looking at myself as a nurse, I can tell you there are things I've said the right things, I've said the wrong things. I have piped up when I should have shut down and I've popped off my mouth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've kept quiet when I should have piped up, you know. So how, how do you know what to say to these folks because you don't want to be offensive or pushy. Uh, Can you give me the short answer and we might have to go on the other side of the break and talk about that more. 
Absolutely. I think the most important thing is to meet people where they're at. So I, my my talk, I talked recently that I did, it did said, you know, when breast isn't best. Um, And so breast is not always best because as you know, as you pointed out, which I think is such a great piece and I don't want to lose it too much that there, besides sexual abuse, there's there's so many other factors why breastfeeding is not going to necessarily work for every family or every woman. Um, I mean, there's breastfeeding is a privilege. um, And I think that's something that we don't always sort of talk about and not everyone has that. But I think one of the best things that we can do meet people where they're at and find out what their goals are. Oh, I like that. Yes. To find out what their goals are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come from a place of feeling like I need to give people information. Yeah. And what they do with that information is up to them. I do worry sometimes that I give them information maybe more than they want when they when they say something like, I don't want to hear one more word about breastfeeding. It's like, okay, yep. I got it. Yeah. And And then I do have to wonder if they've got some deep-seated secret or issue or whatever. But I also feel like that's really the time when I need to back off. And, And I also realize maybe it's just not part of their culture, part of their value system, part of their whatever. And it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual abuse. But I also feel like, uh, I guess this is like women who scream in labor. If they're screaming in labor, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be there to help them. If they're the ones who never speak a word, I'm afraid they're going to deliver the baby in the bed and I'm never going to know it. And I think this it's the same thing with interviewing people. It, the, the ones who are real straightforward are a little bit easier to interact with. It's a little harder when they're really, really quiet. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Elizabeth Johnson. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. Welcome back. We are talking today with Elizabeth Johnson about sexual abuse and breastfeeding. Now, before we get started in earnest, I just want to run a little commercial for my friends and colleagues at uh, Delaware WIC. And I will be doing a program at the Delaware WIC. It's not at their office. It is, I believe, at the convention center. And it will be on World Breastfeeding Week. I really don't know the particulars of this program myself. But if you are in Delaware or within driving distance, you might want to check it out. I will be there. World Breastfeeding Week. All right. So, Elizabeth, you were talking, or we were talking, I guess, about that giving of information and how much to say, how much to not say. And uh, at least for myself, it is, okay, when do I give information and when do I just shut up? So do you have, can you shine a little bit more light on this, please? Yeah, I think so. And so I often kind of go back to like, what does this person need in this moment? And so sometimes that can be really hard to tell and we're just um, unsure. And instead of asking, we offer resources or we keep talking. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. I mean, it's kind of yes. like a natural thing, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I encourage people to pause. Um, I encourage, you know, and, and this could real Marie, this could really be anyone. This could be someone, you know, like you, um, or this could be, you know, a peer counselor over here, or this could be a family member. Um, I really, it could be really be anyone and to sort of pause and say, you know, how can I support you right now? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that. Like what, what would, what would be most helpful to you in this moment? Okay. Okay. Give those things when we kind of put those questions out there, you know, they're, they're big open-ended questions, right? So I'm not, the answer can never be yes or no, which can, you know, shut down the conversation, but they're also super helpful in terms of giving some power back to the person in front of them who may feel like things are not really in control or they feel powerless around them. You know, if breastfeeding is not going well Mm -hmm. for me, for example, Mm -hmm. you saying, what's the best thing I could do to support you right now, Elizabeth? That's really great because that kind of centers me and sort of says, okay, she believes in me. She doesn't think I need like help or fixing or whatever. And let me think about what, how I can, how I can answer that and what I can get, how I can get what I need from this person who is a great resource and great support. Elizabeth, let me tell you what, and I like that. I like that very much. I can't say that I've ever really used that or at least used it enough, but let me tell you that 
as a nurse, one of my uh, fears, I guess, is that sometimes I feel like if I ask the right question or poke the right button, I might get way more than I bargained for. I might be opening Pandora's box. I think I've got a lot of caring, pretty good communication skills, but man, I am not a psychiatric nurse, and I am very fearful that something might come tumbling out of these people's mouths that I am just so unprepared to to deal with. I guess what I'm saying is I'm afraid I'm going to blow it. I'm going to say something wrong or or make it worse or something. Uh, what can you tell, tell me about that? I love that you said this so much because I think this is probably the number one fear that I hear, especially from nurses, really? is that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to open this Pandora's box yep. and or I am not a mental health professional. Right. And right. I think those are great and really valid concerns. And I think that one way that we can kind of you know address those concerns so we feel confident enough to ask and also really set a clear boundary in terms of the person that we're speaking to that here's what I can do and here's what I can't do is really kind of choose our language carefully. What's the the one okay. thing I can do for you in this moment, Marie. Okay. You know, like, so I'm going to, so what's the one thing? And you say, you know, gosh, I really wish that my partner was more supportive of like getting up in the middle of the night to like feed the baby so I could get some sleep. Okay. So let's think about, you know, how we can do that because that's a really normal concern I hear from a lot of families and you're not alone in kind of feeling anxious about that. Now let's go into, yeah, now let's go into like, I'm going to normalize that because that's normal and she needs, she, they need to hear that. And now I'm going to figure out how we fix that problem together. Yes. And may I add one more thing to that? Absolutely. Yes. The other piece is that the average person in front of you is not necessarily going to want to disclose their whole life story to you just because you asked, like, how can I, <laughs> how can, they really just don't want to. Number okay. one, because depending <laughs> on, you, like, say you are that, you know, you're going to talk to Delaware WIC, you know, so those folks are often dealing with really vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote, even the vulnerable populations have been asked so many times. They have been talked to so many times about, you know, their different traumas and why are they a vulnerable population and all these other risk factors. They don't want to go through the whole big thing again with one other person. If anything, they just want to be treated like, you know, like they want to be seen as like a powerful and capable person, like an expert of their own life. And so if you can, you can do that for them, you can help them feel that way. That's mm-hmm. going to, that's going to make the connection, right? They, they, they're not even going to want to kind of give all of that to you because no, they really, no one does. No one really wants to kind of spill that. And right. also the other piece is if it starts to get into that, I think one way that we can kind of back ourselves up is to say, you know, I, I can really hear that all of this is a big concern for you right now. And it sounds like a lot. Would you be comfortable with me getting a resource for you so you can explore this further outside of this space because I'm not an expert in whatever? I like the way you worded that because that's not saying, again, I tend to want to fix it, you know. Yep. Very <laughs> this is such a thing with nurses. I mean, this, I mean, I don't, this is why I'm doing this online course because this is the thing with nurses. Y'all just want to fix it. And we I, know. <laughs> because you're so capable and so caring and you've got so many resources. And the great thing is, and here's like the biggest secret ever, is that there's nothing to fix. Okay. You don't need to fix this person. They, okay. they need to, you need to empower them to kind of say, so what do you need? How can I help see you as the expert of your own life that you are? I can give you some resources and support and I'm here in this sort of scope of practice, but I recognize you don't need to be fixed. Okay. Okay. 
uh, you do realize I've had a whole career and a lifetime full of <laughs> fixing it, whatever it is. But and, and, that's, uh, and, the, and you can do that in so many spaces. And that's part yeah. of like the, the yeah. you know, this jewel of what you offer your patients and, and even the folks that, you know, the WIC counselor, those folks that you're training. And in this, these specific pieces, there's nothing to fix with a sexual abuse survivor. The best thing that you can do is to connect with them and figure out how you can better support them along their way. Love them and send them on their way sort of thing. Elizabeth, another thing that I struggle with, I don't actually personally struggle with it, but I've had this question given to me more times than I can count. I teach my comprehensive lactation course several times a year, several different cities, and every year, every city, somebody says, what do you do about touching the patient when you're helping her to breastfeed? And my answer is, you know, I don't really bump into that a whole lot because I don't do a lot of I don't use my hands to teach things, never mind breastfeeding. I just tend to really put my hands behind my back and talk people through whatever it is, whether it's putting a cartridge in a printer or breastfeeding. But people apparently really struggle with this. So how, like, what are your cues that you really need to keep hands off? Are there cues? Are are people missing these or like what? Help me with this. Well, and I think this is such a great question. And I, this comes up a lot, actually, when I'm talking about breastfeeding to folks who are counselors or peer support folks or, you know, whomever they are, they're, they're talking with, with families about breastfeeding. I, I think that right off the bat, I, I like to say everyone's a trauma survivor. And I don't say that in like a pejorative, like there's something wrong with you sense. But the fact is that everyone in their life has experienced some sort of trauma, whether it was environmental trauma or family trauma, whatever it was, everyone's a trauma survivor. Yep. So if we can okay. kind of err on that fact, you know, kind okay. of use use that sort of assumption that everyone's got something, then the best thing that we can do is to not touch anyone at all. Is okay. to not touch. And I just had this conversation with some yoga instructors and they're all about, you know, corrections and things like that. <laughs> and they're like, and, and actually it made sense because it's like, well, how do we don't know what's going on with someone? So let's kind of err on the side of caution and let's not touch anyone. But I hear, but I think, and my, I don't know this because this isn't my background, but I know that many folks who do lactation support are often taught, taught, you know, using their hand, right? They're taught like, this is what you're doing with this woman's breast. Um, And so that's really hard because, right, that's how they were taught. So I think if, if they, if folks are not at that point, you know, at at the point, they're at a different point where you are, right? You don't, you don't use your hands to teach and that makes sense, right? Like if I'm not going to teach you how to crochet, I'm not going to get in there and move your hands for you. No, I don't. That's correct. So (laughs) Exactly. So, so what, so, but some folks are very much like that. That's just how they work. And I, and that's what, and that was what their education taught them. So I get it. Um, so those folks can really use a prop. You know, those folks can use a prop. They've got those beautiful, like, you know, those crocheted, speaking of crocheted, yes. the crocheted breasts or whatever yes. it is. And you can kind of show people that way. Um, and I think that that can be really powerful for someone. Um, and that can also kind of help kind of get them out of that space of saying, can I touch your breast? Right. Because it, it, right. You, you, yes, of course, you want to be asking before you're touching someone's body. But even better than that is not asking at all. Right. Like if right. because I'm in that space and you you ask, can I touch your breast and I'm feeling vulnerable and I'm a survivor and you're um, coming into my home because you're maybe like a CC4 nurse or someone, you know, and I'm feeling like I don't have a lot of power. And I might just say yes, because you've got all the power and I feel right. kind of not right. I don't feel smart and I don't feel like I'm doing the right thing. But I really don't want you touching my breast, but I don't feel like I have the choice to say no. To say no. Yeah. Yeah, I guess another thing for me, 
at least in the context of breastfeeding, an early guide that I had was I always told myself, I'm not going home with these people. So she's going to have to learn to do this by herself. And I'm not doing her any favors for giving her the third hand. Now, that being said, if she's got a really awkward IV in her arm or something, you know, then sometimes I do say, hey, look, you look like you're kind of struggling here. Do you want a little help? You can tell when people give what I would call a congruent yes. Uh-huh. You're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you, you know it's okay as opposed to yes. And what they're really saying is no. <laughs> right. But I think that that's, uh, I get this a lot from people is, is it is it okay to touch? When do you ask? Uh how do you know? And I think that it, the issue is actually bigger, which you've brought to us. And I want to talk on the other side of the break because you realize now we've got a lot to talk about. But I want to talk about triggers mm-hmm. because I think that there are certain triggers for people. And I want to talk about what they are, how we recognize them, and maybe how to recognize some of the more subtle ones that maybe we just hadn't thought of. So, hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I am here today. With Elizabeth Johnson, and we're talking about breastfeeding after sexual abuse. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Elizabeth Johnson. Hey, Elizabeth, I just realized one thing that we did not cover is uh, I'm I'm going to kind of guess that nobody goes around with a sign hanging across their chest that says, hi, I am a survivor of sexual abuse. But, You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that some people have the idea that they're all going to be uh, teenagers or they're all going to be in low socioeconomic groups or whatever, whatever. Uh, talk to me. What? Where do these? Where do we find the people who are victims of uh, survivors? You can tell my, my age here. That's okay. uh, survivors of of sexual abuse. Yeah, that's a really great point. I'm I'm glad we're bringing that up because um, I think that sexual abuse survivors are everywhere. And I know that because I'm talking to them on a regular basis, um, but I uh-huh. also know that because of the statistics that we have. And I tend to look at statistics from you know really reliable places like the CDC here in sure. Center for Disease Control here in the United States. And they basically are, I use the number of one in three women are experiencing some form of sexual abuse other than rape, other than uh-huh. rape. So one in three experiencing some form of sexual abuse other than rape. And, that, and there's also one in five men experiencing some form of sexual abuse other than really? rape. Yes. So other than rape, this is CDC numbers, really important. And wow. I also like to be really inclusive. And I say one in two trans folks are experiencing some form of sexual violence and that actually for them can include rape. So we just have sexual abuse survivors wherever we are. So it's yeah. not necessarily the folks from the lower socioeconomic um a lower socioeconomic background. You know, I talked to, I talked to, you would be surprised at some of the folks that I talked to from really well off families who are survivors of child sexual abuse. Um, so it's kind of everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Elizabeth, people like me talk an awful lot about how we need to have better education for parents. We need to have better support. We need to have more professionals who are supportive. We got to teach the professionals. We got to do all this good stuff, coaching and counseling and so forth. Uh, I think all that stuff is important, but I guess my question is, is that enough to help folks who have been survivors of sexual abuse? So is, is more and better mm-hmm. teaching going to do the job? Yeah, yeah. The the quick answer is no, um, and it doesn't matter who you're dealing with. It's just that sexual abuse survivors are going to be more um, more inclined to need um, 
to have a little bit more power and control given to them. Um, and they're less inclined to trust right off the bat um, uh-huh. because of they've been abused by someone that, who's tr- who they've trusted in the past. And so the answer is not more resources and, you know, um, and support and education, the answer is really, you know, prioritizing the relationship building piece of that. You know, when I fully trust you, Marie, you know, I am going to be open to whatever resources and support and education you have to offer. But if you kind of come in gangbusters and are talking to me about, you know, La Leche League over here, and here's this, here's this IBCLC's number over here, and here's what I can get at my local WIC person, not that that would probably be your whole bundle, but just sort of pulling yeah, things. The idea. It's, yeah. it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, and it's not you seeing me as someone who is an expert on themselves, as someone who is smart and can make choices. Um, it's just you sort of talking to me like I'm an empty vessel. I, you need to fill up with info so I can be successful at this thing that I may or may not prioritize right now because of what I have going on in my family or because of my family history, whatever. So it's the most important thing. You know, I kind of think about breastfeeding is a memoir as opposed to a how-to book. Mm, because I like when that. It's, yeah, when it's a memoir, right, I can see myself in it. If you talk to me about breastfeeding as a memoir, it's like about identity and I can see myself in it. But if it's a how-to, it doesn't really matter what I'm bringing to the table. Here's the pieces that you just have to learn. Like, I just have to like, you just have to teach me and then you hope it sticks. But that's not really <laughs> what, what, what the real learning is going to be, right? And that's not going to sustain me for success. Yeah, I'm my brain just slowed down here or maybe sped up depending on how you look at it. I'm thinking that that business about the trust, I suspect that that's true, whether somebody is trying to teach me about breastfeeding or about the fact that I need a new accountant or the fact that I want to buy a new car or whatever it is. I guess that we kind of don't do business with people that we don't trust. Yeah, Am I getting it? I think that's true. And I think like it's more important for me to trust you as like my, you're my lactation, you're my lactation consultant that for me, it is for me to trust the person behind the bank counter when I'm depositing my check, right? Yes. Because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need that, right? I've got this big bank to sort of back up the name, but you're the one who's seeing me in a really intimate position. You're the one right. seeing me at a vulnerable point. You're the one who's going to be talking to me about things related to my own body and my own life. That bank person's all transactional. The trust doesn't matter quite so much with them. But anyone who's dealing with me in, in more of an intimate way, especially in a long-term way, like supporting someone's breastfeeding relationship or the, 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 yeah, the breastfeeding relationship, absolutely trust needs to be super prioritized with those folks. So it by sounds like folks, I'm... Rather. Yeah, by those it, folks. It sounds like I'm on the right track here Absolutely. with the 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 trust thing, but mm-hmm. you're saying because of this vulnerable situation, that becomes uh, exacerbated like a million times over. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and, that, and so that's like whether or not you're a survivor, really, right? Like yeah. that could be the average person. They're going into a new, you know, they're going into a new OBGYN practice. They really want to feel connected and trusted and be trusted by those providers because it's not like they're getting a mortgage, right? They're going to see those right. people once, and now I'm building a relationship with those people. Super important that it feels like a trauma sensitive trauma sensitive practice. It feels, you know, kind of like safe for me to be there. Yes. Yes. Wow. And to share very vulnerable things, right? Mm-hmm. That's the other piece. I'm mm-hmm. not sharing anything vulnerable with my mortgage officer. I mean, certain, <laughs> certain like financial yes. disclosures can be vulnerable and maybe feel a little bit sensitive about, but it's a, like a one-time thing. You know, it's either, <laughs> right. I either got my mortgage or I don't. Right. You spit it out and you're done kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess I'm also thinking that about the first day that I was in nursing school, they talked to us about communication. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I can talk to people, no problem. But the older that I get, the more I understand how that communication is so critical. And as my good friend Debbie Bokar always reminds me, they don't know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. Yes. And it's that building of a relationship, building that trust. You are very often, as you pointed out, in a, you're in it for the long haul, hopefully. Uh even if it's a, a six weeks long haul, it's still, it's not a one and done kind of thing. And uh, it seems to me like, you know, sometimes it takes the extra time and extra effort. And I will tell you, nowadays, hospitals are so busy. It's so hard to just take the time to just be and to meet that person where they're at, etc. But yet, I hear you saying so much louder and so much clearer that we've really got to take that time to establish and then uh, nurture that good relationship because it means so much. Elizabeth, we have less than a minute to go. Uh, are there any any final thoughts that you have there? Well, I think one thing I do want to say is that it's it's not I think that some there is this perception like it's going to take a ton of time on the on the front end, and it's kind of that I feel like that dovetails a little bit with the idea of it's like a Pandora's box. It's not necessarily the case. If I take some time on the front end figuring out what you need, I can better support you, and I'm going to save time. And so that's 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 the piece that I think that is 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 a big sort of takeaway. I totally hear the, you know, the the, the lack of time that many folks in the hospital actually do have. Um, yeah. But I think that, that, you know, I think the most important thing is connection, is really connecting with that person. Because if you don't connect with that person, it does not matter the response that you have. It does not matter the support or the resources or any of that. They're not going to feel heard. They're not going to feel seen. Mm, so true. Well, as you know, this hour always goes much, much too fast, but that's all the time that we have today. And before we sign off, I'd like to thank my guest, Elizabeth Johnson, for being on today. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Marie. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I'm so glad. Uh, now, if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. I would encourage all of you, please, to visit me at mariebiancuzzo.com. That's mariebiancuzzo, M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. And you will uh, be able to see my materials, read my blog, and much more. Meanwhile, this is where I tell you that I am Marie Biancuto, and I promise <laughs> that every week I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday and every week thereafter. But in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. <music> Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.